for one year you're moving around Spain, Italy, uh, preparing a move for David Beckham or and other players as well. Then you get told that you are going to be the right-hand man of Beckham in Madrid. Uh, little did you know the circumstances and events that would follow. There's not a lot of training you really you can get for these sort of um, situations, especially coming out straight out of, of professional football. My question is to you, what were the chances that you, – you, I'm sure you knew there was going to be a bit of drama uh, following Beckham, but – did you know that this was going to be such, did you have any inkling this was going to be such a movie script, such an insane set of months for you? No, it was, it was, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced in my life before. You know, I'd been around you know, the football scene at top levels in Europe. Um, you know, I'd seen, you know, some Maradona, um, you know, highlights of, of his life in Naples, in Barcelona. Uh, but this this took it to a whole new level. You know, you had a Spice Girl thrown in. You had a, a global global paparazzi, uh, you know, and, and, and media that uh, were thirsty for stories uh, that lived off, off, off all this, this chaos, this... Um, this madness and it began, you know, with the arrival at the Air Force Base. You know, we um, they arrived, we got into the cars, we were going into the middle of Madrid for the medicals, and uh, the immediate car chase on that first day was was uh, it's like something that you'd seen a Bond movie and, and even greater, you know, helicopters, police helicopters, Air Force helicopters, Fox. CNN, every news station on the planet, uh, on the ground, motorbikes, paparazzi motorbikes, um, all set up like MotoGP bikes and, and, you know, highway patrol vehicles, cars, everybody fighting for a bit of David. And we finally got to um, the hospital and the car stopped and I just thought, you know, we're going to die in a car crash here. This is insanity. Um, and then... Uh, we went inside, did the medical, and then we were off to the centre of Madrid. And again, as soon as we left the hospital grounds, the chase was on again every single day. And it did not cease. It did not let up. In fact, it got worse. You know, the, the hotel, until David moved out to his uh, country home just outside Madrid, uh, was just, the Santa Mara Hotel was a beautiful boutique hotel in the middle of Madrid, but you know, not far from the Bernabeu, not far from the the previous uh, training complex of Real Madrid. Uh, but it was the one in action at the time. Uh, you know, we was like been in the, in the middle of Mexico City, and, and we were locked in, and, and the paparazzi would have every corner of the city locked up. So we couldn't go anywhere without being followed. Uh, and it got to a point where, you know, we discussed with the, the SAS commandos and everybody, and uh, we began to, to need more security. We began to need a vehicle in front, a vehicle behind the Beckham vehicle, and uh, and still chaos ensued. And, uh, you know, at first, sometimes you think, you know, the whole fame thing is pretty cool. Uh, it's not as cool as you think, you know. I think it's it's a lot easier for him now. I believe 
Manchester, it was easier. Um, the whole Spanish thing with the Galacticos, and it was just that one point in history, that, that one moment in time that everything came together. And oh, it, it's, again, uh, I've mentioned to you before, uh, I don't think there's words to do it justice. It's kind of one of those things where you visually have to see and just go, yeah, it's like, it's, uh, but it was, you know, as dangerous as it was, as as uh, impacting later on in life as it may be, um, it was exciting at the time. But you said it best. You know, it was. There's things that you're not trained for. You know, you're a footballer, you're an agent, and all of a sudden you're a, you, know, you do a four week, you know, quick SAS course because you're going to be needed, and uh, you do a multitude of other things. You know, that um, you just do. You know, and uh, and that was me. You know, I think if you have the ability to play at real high levels of, of sport, um, then there's a there's something in that brain and, and, and something in uh, that makeup and mindset that you know we got to drive this car at 200 k's an hour, followed by people and motorbikes, and let's do it. And you just do it. Yeah, I, I living in living in Australia and sort of seeing the way the the culture works here like people like you just see like comments online and people are like disgusted when um their little bit of privacy is sort of uh taken away in any sort of like article or video you see if like if 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 these australians don't know anything about european football or spain or italy or these big stars they don't realize there's there's the daily newspapers of just sport and sometimes just football the like you said, you've mentioned many times in the news that people and you mentioned the book, the, they're looking for the blood shots, they're looking for this. You add uh, Victoria Beckham in there, and all of a sudden, it's sort of like that. I don't know if you've seen that movie Nightcrawler with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Like you, you mentioned there, did it sort of feel like that at times where like the press would have been happy if you had a car crash or something like that? Oh, look, there was uh, see, we had we had um technology that at the time, if you had if I put it in front of you now. Would look pretty, you know, prehistoric in a dinosaur age. But at the time, with the Beckhams, the, the SAS commandos, and everything, we had the the latest and greatest technology. And chatter would come up, you know, because you know, they would say to me, "What do they say?" And uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty sad when when they're looking for chaos, when they're looking to upset us, when they're looking, you know, they as soon as you walk out of the hotel in the morning, as soon as you leave the garage in, in the morning, um, you know, the chatter is, you know, chaos, chaos. If chaos ensues and car crashes ensue, you know, uh, a shot of a dead or dying David Beckham is the big, big money, you know, and and uh, it wasn't always that chat. The chat was always, it wasn't always as pronounced or as, as, as I've just kind of um, pointed it out occasionally it was uh, and that was not nice to hear um, but on most occasions you knew what they alluded to they uh, they wanted some sort of chaos um, yeah. and um, they would do anything to get it it's just the insanity you, you've got guys you know and we're we're traveling in high-powered vehicles you know um David doesn't drive crap, you know. <laughs> you got Ferraris, Porsche, GT3s, and everything. Yes, Aston Martins, and and we're flying. And you get to a point, you know, you get out on the freeway towards the the new training ground, and yeah, 180, 200 kilometers an hour more is 
is cruise. And, and you've got four, five, six, seven guys right next to the vehicle on, on motorbikes. And then the rider is facing forward. His job is just to look forward. And then there's a guy sat reverse the other way back. So the camera is pointing at the vehicle and he's strapped to the rider. And um, there's no fear from them. There's no, um, they love it. You know, I'd look into their eyes, you know, 200 kilometers an hour, you know, we're a meter apart. I'm looking in their eyes and I'm thinking to myself, man, I would love so much to just go, boof, see you later. Yeah, that, that was like, oh, it would have made my day just to go, boof, see you, son. Um, but, you know, there's, there's things you can't do. But honestly, at times, it got um, over time, it wears you out so much that you think, you know what? I could have easily have just gone, boof, there you go, knock him into an oncoming truck, mince meat, see you later, thank you. We've gone out of vanilla ice cream. That's that's how bad it gets to a certain point. But um, I suppose it was it was more impacting and, and harder for myself and the security team around him because you know we're doing reconnaissance missions. You know, early in the morning, you know, we're getting updates from MI6. It's James Bond. You know, it's that's the spy agency, and you know they're saying, look, Etta, the terrorist group, uh, are looking at the kids. You know, so then you've got to start, you know, you, there's there's a certain way you go to training in the morning. Now we've got to change it up and we've got to do it. We've got to do that trip in the morning with two SAS commandos and with a couple of intelligence officers, officers that, that were ex-Castro guys. And you're looking for things. You, you, and it's, um, so yeah. And then when David and Victoria get up, they just go down, breakfast, jump in the car, everything's done. So for me, it was impacting. You know, I I'd interpret the, the English guys didn't know Spanish. The Spanish security didn't know English. So I was like twenty four seven. You know, I became uh, really, really important. You know, and then you know, towards the end, you know, when, when when I look back, you know, those three four months, the initial ones where David was there, um, you know, I was key. You know, he integrated into that Real Madrid squad and into that society. And those that came later, it was easier. Um, but I really, um, you know, if I'm really, really proud of, of, of something, it's it's the fact that I helped him you know, move into the Madrid society and and really integrate and form lifelong friendships with with all those Real Madrid players and, and especially Ronaldo and and Roberto Carlos. And before we mention the Galacticos, there was it. Can uh, would you be able to mention like uh, one of your decoy stories? Like you mentioned quite a few of them in there. Like you literally had to like put a put a wig on and sort of take the car the other way to at least get half the paparazzi off. We would do that on, on many occasions. And this one ended in a, in a car crash. I won't go into it too much. I don't want to spoil the book. But, yes, it was uh, at times. This one was for Romeo Brooklyn's birthday. Yeah. So we had a convoy of, of vehicles behind us as well. And, um, yeah, I would put on a blonde wig to look like David. You know, the, the, the windows of the vehicle were, were really blackened out. So you could kind of just see it. That blonde kind, and they used to think that was me. And um, next to me was uh, Louise Adams, Victoria's sister. And on this occasion, uh, we left the hotel via the ramp that we always did. But something didn't quite happen as normally did, and it ended up in a car crash. And uh, I won't really go into more because it, I don't want to ruin the book either. But it, it um, you know, 
insanity. There was one occasion where <clears throat> I did a decoy run in the Range Rover and I put two suitcases in the back seat and a soccer ball, a football on top of each suitcase and covered it with a blanket so that the paparazzi thought it was two humans under there. And uh, I took them all the way to Barajas, the, um, the international departure land, the departure area. I get the Range Rover there. They're all around the Range Rover. I take the blankets off the suitcase and the football, and they went nuts. <laughs> nuts and David and Victoria were you know, somewhere else on the other side of Madrid. Um, and then, but then you infuriate them. You know, and it gets worse. You know, it's, it's what's the lesser of the two evils. It's, you know, um, so then they get even more malicious in terms of uh, the photography, the chasing, the whole lot. So, um, but, you know, the, the commandos had, had a million tricks as well. You know, you'd go, <clears throat> you know, some of the, the little cobblestone kind of streets in Italy and in, in Rome and Madrid, for example, that become kind of one way and, and, and narrow. Um, you take them up there and the vehicle behind Beckham's vehicle, the one behind with security in it, stop. David keeps going. The motorbikes can't get past because the of vehicle course. behind has not only, not only is it narrow in, in itself, but the commandos open the doors. So the motorbikes can't get, can't go. And, and if they do it. Yeah, yeah, they're going nuts. And uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of silly, isn't it? You're playing these cat and mouse games every single day. It's a cat and mouse game, and it, they infiltrate the hotel. They try and get into the rooms. Uh, madness, you know. I've, I was the only one that I had a. I was, I was the only one that had a, a key to David and Victoria's room. I was in charge of their safe as well. I had the key of the safe, and um, but you know I would on many occasions, see people snooping around, you know, and I'm thinking, um, I've never seen them here before. You know, and suddenly they're, uh, it's the new, um, the new lady that, that does the cleaning. And it wasn't. Exactly. It can't be, you can't just, you know, assume you have yeah. to make sure that, uh, you have to make sure it's, um, all safe in that regard. Some of the best, parts for you about it must have been watching the Galacticos and David Beckham train up front. Sometimes people don't realize like some of the best skill you see from these sort of players would be a training, right? You just see them do skills that you wouldn't see in a game and just the little things they do off the ball. Uh, just Can you just explain the quality that you would have seen on a daily basis from these absolute once-in-a-lifetime world-class players all together at training? Oh, look, you... Coming from a footballer that's played at a decent level and played against some of them, uh, you quickly understand there's another level. And uh, these are apex predators. These are, uh, uh, you know, Zidane, Ronaldo, Figo, Beckham, all in their own way have world-class assets. You know, you know when you look at the, the top tennis players, people go, oh, you know, Rafa has this and, and Federer has this and Sampras had a, an, an amazing serve. That was his weapon. These, these guys all have their particular weapon. But as all-round athletes, as, uh, you know, some may not be as fast as others, 
they're not fast as others it's way faster than everything else on the planet um they have vo2 maxes that uh, are unbelievable i get kids you know it's like for example um you know Xavi wasn't amongst them and Iniesta wasn't amongst them. They were at Barcelona and others. But oh, I get people in Canberra saying, come and watch my boy. He, he played like Xavi. He played like Iniesta. Um, he looked like him too. And, and, you know, so they're kidding themselves. You know, these midfielders, you know, top level Modric, you know, Zidane, all these guys, have got two maxes of, of, <clears throat> of, you know, Tour de France cyclists of, of Olympic middle distance runners, you know, that's what people kind of don't realise, you know, the, these Galacticos, I'm telling you now, uh, and people and players of that ilk, <clears throat> a very special brain that puts everything together, but physiologically, and it's what we forget, you know, we used to, when I was at the OS, we, we, we understood that a bit more, it's gone out of the game now, but you're talking, um, you're talking every single one of them, you know, physiologically um, uh, in their own way just world world class um you know i, I took the saint george rugby league team to um to watch them you know to spend a week there with them you know, they're just watching ronaldo and go man imagine that guy in the center's state of origin like he's just uh very special you know and it's something that we don't kind of realize when we just see you know people see neymar and messi and all of this and they just see the tricks and the flicks but you know if you asked someone you know what's messi's time from a standing start for 20 20 meter sprint or a 10 meter sprint or a 30 meter sprint what's his deceleration after he goes past the finish line they wouldn't have a clue and if i told them that it's faster than the greatest ever time recorded at an NFL draft. They look at you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, they don't get it. And, and, you know, until you grasp the concept of physiological, moulded in, mixed in with uh, the mental, then you don't understand what you're kind of watching to a certain extent. You know, as a footballer, I see it because, you know, I've marked Ryan Giggs, Andy Cole, Eric Cantona, and, um, you know, despite kind of towards the end of my career being on one leg, you know, I had to be cluier, you know, to be smarter. And you realise that, you know, I'm in turbo fifth most of the game and Giggs is still in third. You know, he's, he's looking around, he's just, he's waiting for that opportunity to go. So mentally, it's it's um, that's a whole whole big game, and it's you know I loved it. You know, uh, besides the chaos of everything, that was my piece. I'd go there with Brooklyn and babysit him, and then sit twenty meters from the you know, the, the boys playing five sides. You know, you got five sides with Ronaldo or with Carlos Figo. It's insanity, and um, there's a good story in there where Brooklyn and I are kicking a ball around. And they're doing set pieces and uh, the ball goes into the middle of the set pieces and uh, Kiraj looks around and um, anyway, it ended up really nice with a Roberto Carlos bit of magic. Like you mentioned, a crazy few months for you and then uh, SFX loses David Beckham and then uh, for you, you sort of go into a dark period in life. My question to you was, how difficult, there, there's a chapter in here where you go very in-depth about 
uh, one of the nights you, uh, uh, the, the night you got arrested and what it was like for you when you were um, using uh, the drugs. How difficult is it to go into that sort of depth? Because I, I would assume it would be one thing to just say, yeah, I took some something here. But for you to go in that sort of depth and explain the, the night you were arrested and explain that whole process, how, how was it was it difficult for you or was it sort of therapeutic in a way? Like what, yeah, what was it, was it like really, going in that depth? It was cathartic. It was therapeutic. It was, um, you know, the arrest bit didn't you know, bother me as such. The... The addiction to cocaine didn't bother me uh, as much. You know, it, it impacted me. Um, I'm not saying it's cool. I'm not saying it's a good thing that, that happened in my life. I wish it never happened. Um, but it happened. And it happens to it happened to me and it happens to, to millions out there. Um, yeah. But for me, the, you know, the, the whole arrest thing and um, the fact that I was you know, addicted to crack cocaine at the time. And, you know, you don't make, you know, when you're on any sort sort of, you know, addictive kind of behaviour or, or, or drug or alcohol or whatever, you know, there's no secret, you don't make good decisions. And um, part of my whole thing was, was you know, my, my torture the past 10, 11 years was that uh, I'd been forced, not forced, but I kind of fell into it. And, and you know, I was on crack cocaine. I wasn't making good decisions. Uh, I was uh, told by my legal team to, to take a plea deal to something that just simply didn't happen. And, you know, I'd go on any, right now, I'd go on any F, FBI, you know, MI6, lie detectors, not a problem. You know, I, I don't, I'd revisit it in court, whatever. You know, it was a made-up charge, um, you know, to, to try and, you know, for two detectives to, to live off my fame, off of me being the Reading FC captain and, and you know, their, their claims are capturing him in, in, in their own town and city. So, um, you know, I was living a lie um, that I'd admitted to something that simply um, I didn't even do anything. It was attempting to do something, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it was in, insanity. And um, I just, I needed to get that out at some point. And, but you've got to... You just can't come out and say, well, that's not right. That's not true. You've got to have some backup, some evidence. And it came my way. Cards were dealt. Like I was playing poker in Vegas, to be honest with you, and I received uh, an email from Scotland Yard detectives um, that kind of made sense of everything and, you know, put everything into into little kind of areas of, of, of wow. Now, now I have documentation and evidence of, you know, that I was a victim of Britain's greatest tabloid scandal ever. Um, you know, I've documentation at home, you know, that, that shows Harry, Prince Harry, William, Beckham's, myself, you know, all, all, all victims of, of, of the phone hacking and, <clears throat> and the data theft. And it just, you know, and it all led to uh, my arrest and look they wanted to nail me and and I wasn't in a good state and uh my legal team said you know just cop a plea to this you pay a little fine and everything goes away and you know what I was in a state of, of, of I was in a mental state at the time that I wanted everything to go away and um yeah so three thousand pounds slap on the wrist and um but nothing goes away when you've been with David Beckham you know, nothing, nothing, nothing goes away. And, you know, it was all, 
It was nothing. I. This is how much it was nothing. I was off, I've been offered millions. I was offered millions. And uh, my story wouldn't have seen the light of day if I had have divulged information on David Beckham and his family. I was approached on several occasions um, in North East Linton uh, and outside court on a couple of occasions. Uh, and it's like you have a million dollars overnight or we go to town on you. And anything that we want to magnify or put in papers to destroy your life can be done. And if you sue us and you win five million, we'll make sure you have to spend six million to win that five. And so it's, it's a never ending cycle. So you kind of torture you uh, and it's worse. They say, no, you got to say this, but what if that's not true? This is what you got to say. And if you, so you tortured you, you say, if you, if I say this about David, about this and that, the football world is close to me. It's, it's dead. There's no more. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That that world closes. People don't like. No, of course know. not. They don't like that. No. No, and uh, and then you kind of go, well, but but if I don't say something, then they're going to write this. So it's man. So what do you do? You know, so you know, for me, uh, I'm not proud of it, but it was almost like a self medication and. Uh, you know, kind of ironic that I'd speak to the, the rocket man himself, you know, Elton John at times, you know, when he, he'd call the vehicle and we're going on the way to training in the early days and, you know, I kind of became the rocket man up there in space. So there, um, there you go. And then after that, you were uh, with the soccer, uh, uh, you were with the soccer a bit doing some uh, scouting before that World Cup, that famous World Cup qualifier against Uruguay. And you've also... Uh, helped uh, quite a few Australian players out, uh, most notably uh, Tommy Rogic. Um, you, you saw him in Canberra. You, you explain the story in the book. When you um, got Rogic uh, an opportunity or when you helped him get an opportunity at the Mariners, did you see him going to the lengths uh, that, he has, uh, that, he, that he has now in such a successful career? Mm, yeah, but... Um... Firstly, um, before Tom, my first client was Tim Cahill. And, and I'm not sure if, um, if a lot of people knew that, but I just thought I'd, um, um, he's probably the, the top one. But yeah, then after that, uh, uh, young Valeri uh, took him into Milan and, and then Tom. And, and Tom's the one that, and you're probably right, he's kind of the one that I had to, you know, spend more time with. Uh, the other two, Timmy was already, you know, he, he left for Millwall at 15, 16. Carl came through the AIS. Um, and Tommy was uh, a kid I went to watch at Hawker. Ron Smith said, come down and watch him play. And, uh, you know, 95% of it was rubbish. You know, he, was, he was unfit. He didn't track back. He did futsal tricks. You know, just didn't kind of, uh, you know, got the girls excited. You know, three or four Radford you know, girls that were sitting in the stand got excited at these little futsal tricks. Um, but I said to his father, Peter, afterwards, I said, uh, you know, everything that I saw today that was negative can be fixed. And um, the 5%, you know, there was a 5% there that was, you know, I can only dream of doing stuff like that. You know, it was very Zidane-esque. 
you know, the, the touch, the, the uh, you know, the first touch was sublime. And, uh, you know, we then went on a, a three-month uh, training program with Tom that, that was more about physicality and, 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 and mindset rather than um, the technical elements of his game. And, and, and you know, he, he did, he did, he gave me 100% on, on everything here. At the time, I was the strength conditioning coach for the Olympic Games boxing team that contained people like Jeff Warren. So he came in and, and trained with all of us. And, uh, you know, I told him, if you missed one training session, I was out. See you later. Right there, that was uh, career done. And, but he, you know, he, he rolled up. He was fantastic. You know, there's a few stories in there that, uh, that readers will really love. But I, I knew I knew he could play. There was a, a particular run near the Governor General's that, that I used to put the boys through. And, you know, I did say to him, I said, if, you know, if you become, you know, a, a fantastic athlete, you know, the best you can be as an athlete, um, you will play for one of the big teams on the planet, you know, one of the big brands on the planet. And, you know, Celtic are a big brand. You know, I've been there. Uh, I've um, <clears throat> I've witnessed it. <clears throat> and, you know, his, his trophy and medal tally there is, I think it's 12 or 13. And uh, for people that knock the Scottish League, you know, it's, it's only Celtic and Glasgow Rangers, um, people that knock the league, uh, I haven't met one or heard one that's actually played in it. You know, and, and if, yeah, and you see the A-League, Every A-League player tomorrow would sign for Rangers or Celtic. They'd give their right arm to sign for them. These big brands, you know, and then they play in Europe and stuff like that. Is the whole league, you know, as good as the EPL, as good as La Liga, as good as Serie A? No. But you're talking about, you know, Celtic, a global brand, an iconic brand, European champions. Um, when you go there and you see the passion in the stands and what it means to to the people, you know, for me, uh, so amazing that Tom from Canberra uh, ended up there and, you know, scored the winning goal in the treble treble. And, you know, I don't think he'd mind me saying, you know, if, if, if he had a little bit better VO2 max, you know, that's the motor that you're born with and a little bit more speed, could play for anybody. You know, just uh, could have played for you know the, the the big 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 ones, but you know it, it wasn't to be. You know, but he did play for you know what is a big iconic club. You know, when I talk to top you know ten eleven, you know the AC Milan's, the Inters, the, the Real Madrid, the Barcelona's had technically and the brain to play for them. Probably not uh, the VO two max. You know, and, and and Ronnie Ronnie Smith always said that he goes. He used to say to me, his biggest challenge will be, you know, getting around the pitch, you know, at, um, you know, for, for 90 minutes at the high speeds required, you know. Most people can get a jog for 90 minutes, but, you know, can you do consistent, you know, 20-metre sprints or 10-metre sprints in a certain time over those 90 minutes? You've helped a lot of other players from specifically from the Canberra region to get trials with A-League clubs or go to an academy overseas or and that sort of thing. Do you get a lot of do you, you mentioned it there? Do you get a lot of that? Do you get a lot of people say, Hey, can you come? Uh, people that you know, hey, can you come see my son? Can you come watch my son play? What do you think about him? What do you think about him? Because there is a bit in the book where you mentioned 
you take a map and you go, oh, I have connections all over here. So I would have a feeling the fact that people know that they would say, hey, come watch my son. Uh, can you, you know, can you do something here? Oh, look, I, I, I occasionally get get that. I, I, I kind of, I don't watch a, a lot of local football, but, you know, and for me, it's not like I make a living out of it, you know. Uh, I don't really like the game a lot, but I have a partner in London and, you know, if we have to take on a, a Cahill or a, a Valeri or a, a Rogic, you know, have a, a career, we do it as a kind of family unit, a, a, a close-knit kind of, you know, team. Um, but, yeah, there's talent here. There's kids here. And, and, um, but what I find is... Uh, a lot of parents and, and kids aren't ready for me here, you know, because I, I don't, um, you know, it's black or white, you know, you know, at, at 16, 17, you know, 16, 17, you, you want to be pushing first time here in Canberra. You know, so at 17, if you're a young lad, you know, and you tell me, you know, you want to go A-League or, or further, um, show me, don't tell me. Show me at 17, 18, you're the best kid in Canberra, by mine. So that if I bring Graham Arnold here to watch you play, Kevin Musket here to watch you play, Steve Corica here to watch you play, I can phone them. They'll drive down, Laurie McKenna. They'll drive down for me and they'll watch you play. So you want to be able to walk as good as you talk, you know, and for the parents as well. So you know, at 17, 18... You know, and once you've been once you've been in, in this agent business and you see all the talent, you know, through South America and through Europe and stuff like, you know, it takes a lot to convince me or win me over here in, in Canberra. You know, I get parents and my son plays like Shavi and he's this and that. And I've heard it all. Um, you know what? I'll go and watch you play. For example, I'll go and watch you play uh, Canberra Croatia. V, Monero, or whoever, yeah? First grade, 16, 17. And if you are the best player on the pitch, you, know, you won't even have to tell me. I'll see it. What, people, what kids don't realise in this city and parents don't realise in this city is that, you know, they always go, oh, you know, wish a Valencia scout was here or a Sevilla scout was here. or Sevilla scout is here. His name's Andy. In my phone... I have Julian Lopetegui's number. He's the manager of Sevilla. So if I go and watch a 17-year-old kid that I think is special, he's in Sevilla in two weeks' time, obviously with travel restrictions and everything kind of, you know, taken into consideration. But your scout is here. You know, I'm one phone call away from Brendan Rogers is in here. Uh, you know, that's, that's how easy it is, you know, but you have to be, you know, and... So, you know, I try and help some kids, but ultimately, you know, once I open the door or put someone through a door, I've done it myself. And I've gone on and won that first team spot. You know, I can't do that for you. I can open the doors. But certainly, um, you know, when I look at kids in Canberra, they need to be, you know, I look at a lot of things. And physiologically, they can't, you know, if you're a kid that's in Canberra, 17, 18, 19, I look at that kid now and I go, how would he go against Sergio Ramos right now? How would he go against Ramos in two years' time? Does he have the potential to develop into the athlete that he needs to be? I think so. 
or I immediately go, no. And when I go, no, parents go, oh, Andy, <laughs> empty promises. There's no empty promises. There was no empty promises for Cahill. There was no empty promises for Valeri. There was no empty promises for Tom Rogic. There was no empty promises for myself. There was no empty promises for Ned Zelich, who I helped get to Sydney Olympics from the AIS. You know, there was no empty promises for Schwarzer, who I helped get to England from Germany, for Tony Popovich to sign for Crystal Palace. There's no empty pop promises. There's empty promises if you ain't good enough. You know, and I just, I don't, you know, I don't do the little talk. You know, if you're good enough, I'll help you. If you have the ability to go and play there, I'll help you. If not, you know, and uh, and that's how it is. You know, Andy's the bad guy because he doesn't want to help everybody. But what you all need to understand is the you need to be beyond, you know, the uh, the the delusion. You know, if you're good enough in Canberra, if I believe you're good enough in Canberra to play top level football, trust me, and you'll be your best mate. And and before we wrap up, we've we've talked a little bit before. Whenever we've just seen each other at games, uh, you, you you've talked about how what you don't like about uh, modern football, and that's there's not a lot of physicality. Can you just um, explain that a little bit? You don't see kids valued now for for good tackles, you know, for getting up and heading the ball and, 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 you know, a diving header. You don't see these things. They're not encouraged. You know, everybody wants to play tiki-taka. You know, you play futsal if you want to play tiki-taka. You know, and what they don't realise is that the tiki-taka merchants, the best ones in the world, Spain, yeah, they actually are the teams that physically impose themselves above others and on others um, like you wouldn't believe. Um, you know, the Puyols, the Ramoses, the whole lot, you know, these guys bring a physicality to the game that make it uncomfortable for opponents. Um, but they can play football too, play football way, 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 way better than those that go, oh, you have to play tiki-taka all the time. You know, it, it, it's no. Um, you know, as a defender, if I'm teaching defenders in, in Canberra, young defenders, how to defend, the first thing I need to tell those kids is whoever you're playing against needs to understand that today's not going to be a pretty day. It's going to be a real bad day at the office. And if they're going to get the better of Andy, they're going to remember Andy for the rest of their lives. You know, And on the pitch for 90 minutes, nobody's your friend. Your brother, your cousin, your sister, nobody is your friend, okay? Uh, there's no, uh, you know, you, I've lined up in a tunnel against Man United, you know, gigs, keen, the whole lot. It's in those moments that, you know, people become intimidated. People, you know, you need to, if I'm playing against a fantastic striker, the last thing I need him to be is comfortable. Yeah, so I'm going to do everything in my power to make him uncom uncomfortable and not want to receive the ball with comfort. Now, I don't mean breaking legs. I don't mean that, that's that's cowardly. Yeah, but being fair, hard, and tough is fantastic. But now you can't you can't look at anybody. You can't look at someone and they put a yellow card. Refs don't even want to dialogue with you. 
you know, a good ref will dialogue with you. You know, you'll say something to him and he'll turn around, Andy, just concentrate on your game, mate. You're having a stinker. That's what good refs do. But, um, you know, uh, we've, we've gone away from all that. We, we don't have warriors anymore. There's no diving headers. Uh, you know, put your head in where it hurts. You know, the coaches don't even say that. Put your head in where it hurts. If you get stitches, I will personally drive you to Canberra Hospital and I'll wait there for you. We'll stitch you up. And if it's quick, we'll get you back out onto the pitch. But, but, but you say that and like, imagine saying that uh, at the Kanga Cup. They think you're nuts. But what is next for Andy Bernal? Uh, look, I, I, I'm really uh, kind of honoured and, and, you know, taken aback a little bit and humbled by, by the reception that the book's getting, you know, on a global level. People are really, really um, you know, enjoying the, the honesty uh, of a true story. Um, I'm very proud that I wrote it myself. Um, Russ Gibbs was fantastic as well. He, he kind of encouraged me and, and we, you know, he helped me structure it and, and put a format in place. Um, but it was me, you know, all hours of the morning writing it. And, and now I want to, um, we're going to translate it into Spanish. Um, uh, my cousins uh, in Ibiza uh, uh, are involved with the, the Ibiza Football Club there. They've been there for many years. They've done well. And, um, you know, they're bringing, they're going to bring uh, Mitchell and, and Wadi Ola and Luis Enrique and these boys to the table to help promote it in, in Spain, in Spanish. You know, and I think the fact that David's been to, to LA, to Miami, he's there in Miami now, played for Real Madrid. There's a lot of those supporters on a global level that would like um, to, to, to read the book in Spanish. So you know, there's half a billion people, you know, on the planet that speak Spanish. So that's that's the thing in the next couple of months that I'm working on. Um, I want to turn it into a movie, into a, a Netflix series, uh, in some form of adaptation, and uh, you know, it could be done through a lot of people. It could be done via David Beckham's movie company. You know, what better way for for him to say, well, you know, I'll do this and, and I'll control how I look. You know, um, but then again, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, for an Australian director like Russell Crowe or someone to, to grab it, you know, being an Aussie type story, for that would be fantastic as well. So they're, they're things that I have in play uh, in terms of uh, football as such. Uh, you know, there's a new TV deal, Paramount, you know, and we're looking for new blood, you know, on a broadcasting level as well. Uh, commentary box, you know, studio panelist. Um, it's all, with all respect, everybody. It's all much the same. The same. Where's the new character? So yeah, I put my hand up there, one million percent. Well, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Your book, Writing Shotgun, is out in stores now for Play Publishing and wherever really you can get books. Andy, thank you very much for coming on. Look forward to chatting to you soon. Thanks, mate. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was a real, um, real, real good time, mate, chatting to you. Thank you.